tuned into Entrepreneurial Impact with uh, Joe Martin and Dave Donaldson, your hosts on this podcast today. Uh, we're going to be diving into 16 points that leaders uh, execute on. And I'm really excited about it because I think there's like some tactical great items in here that as you're going through your leadership journey and people development or people attraction or people manage, I don't know, whatever thing you're on as far as the journey goes, these 16 things really jumped off at me as great foundational pieces to base your uh, development on as a leader, mainly because it gets you to think differently and it gives you concepts that you can say, how does that apply to me? And where are my gaps? Where are my strengths? How can I do that better? But at the end of it, leadership's a skill and it can be taught. I think if you're diving into that self-mastery and that and that journey for yourself to how, how do I better lead people? How do I build a better people business? Because inevitably leadership is people development. So what are the things that are needed in order to be successful? And I think these 16 things really cover that so you at least have a starting point. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point when you say, hey, you know, what makes an effective leader? I think it's actually, it is good to be able to bullet out a list and say, hey, how do I do that? Do I do that well? What does that look like? And your interpretation of what you do well versus maybe asking somebody else to evaluate how you stand and what your performance looks like on average could be completely different. I still disagree. We'll go a little David Letterman, right? I feel like we need to remember throw <laughs> the cards up there on air. Right. So if we kind of start leaving this out, and I like the order that they started to go here, and they first off, they recruits and selects the right people. I really hate the word recruit on this one. I hate the recruit, but I understand the mindset yeah. to it, right? I think attract, right? Okay. You've got a value. If you, if you fully believe your value proposition, you believe what you're building, you believe in all the different things your company represents and can provide, you're really attracting talent, right? Because recruiting feels like it's just on one side where you're actually trying to cause magneticism. But um, when I look at this, when it says the right people, um, I was going through and teaching a human resource uh, class that actually talks about like the beginning recruiting process and what's the interview process look like and all that. And what defined it was they, they talked about a perfect match for the role. Yeah. And what it really came down to, do they have the skill sets, right? Do they have like the track history? Do they have the behavioral wiring to be functional in the role? Because some roles are highly detail-oriented with no interruptions, and some are highly people-oriented with a lot of interruptions, right? So are they right. behaviorally wired for what's necessary in the role? The next one was, is it the next uh, logical step in their career? Are they motivated? And are they a cultural fit for your organization? So when I think about the right person, it's saying, are they wired for it? Do they have the skill sets, like education and training and track record like of that job? Yep. Are they motivated to do it? Is it the next logical step? And then are they a cultural fit for like, you know, because some organizations we work 18 hours a day and it's six days a week and, you know, you don't say I got to go home to the kids. And then there's other ones that say, hey, kids are first and we bring in this, the spouses and all that. So you got to know what your culture is. To define, am I selecting the right person based on those five pieces? I think that's twofold, depending on the layers and structure of your organization. I guess they have to be the right fit culture, but they also have to be the right fit for your personality, too, or how you are as a leader. Like Knowing who you are, where your gaps are, and how you lead. Like This person might check all the right boxes, mm -hmm. but how are they going to work within your dynamic? That self-exploration is pretty important, too. I agree on that one. So I think like that that that, that attracts and selects the right person. People centered, once again, 
<laughs> leadership is people development. So if you don't like people, you don't care about people, probably at, at the wrong road to be going down. I, I joke about this often, but I'm also not really kidding. I think everybody coming out of college or at some point in, in their lives should have to hold a position of working with people, whether it's in hospitality, right? Or some sort of service related business or heck, even in the military, right? I think you have to learn how to work with people. That sets you up for success. And until you've been in that role, right? You don't know how you're gonna recognize it because you need to know, hey, how do I treat people? How am I perceived by people? So that would be an interesting dynamic to me. And it is honestly, no, you've been from the hospitality industry, so I was in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry. We kind of get that, but I always look for that in people's backgrounds. Because this says a lot to me about who they are as a person. Like, were they a teacher? Were they in the hospitality? What kind of service acronyms did they have? Mm-hmm. Sets the table for success. I think the word that really comes out with people-centered is, are you? do you have the capability to be empathetic? Yeah. You have to be empathetic with people, right? You have to seek to understand. And I think there's, there's this really, like, crazy parallel of, like, you have to be empathetic. You have to be able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, understand where they're coming from, so you can understand. You're trying to understand mindset, right? But the other part is just because I'm empathetic to somebody doesn't mean that you bend to every wish in leadership. So it's kind of like, am I empathetic that my my son wants chocolate chip cookies before <laughs> his? Yeah, because I love chocolate chip cookies. It's my downfall. Love chocolate chip cookies. I'm 100% empathetic when he's upset that he can't have chocolate chip cookies. Yep. But I also realize that he has to have his dinner before he has cookies, right? Well, that's, so that's where the like, don't tell mom comes into play, right? I'll give you one, don't tell mom. Yeah, right. Um, the next one is available and visible. And I, I think that, you know, um, availability and visible is, is important in leadership because presence is important. Being around, like there's certainly, don't get me wrong, there's certain leaders that say, hey, I hire the right people, I don't need to be available and present. There are, there are. but in times of crisis, when you've got an economic downturn, you got some rocky waters and blah, 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 all the different things in the media, like having a foundation, having a steady, tried and true focus that someone that's confident at the helm, when they show up and care, right? And they show up and they, they, they're present and they, they actually... They exude confidence about where we're going, especially in the times of... I think I'm probably also going to throw into that is approachable, right? Not just is my door open, but do I feel comfortable having a conversation with you and discussing things, right? You have to be be available and visible for that to happen, but at the same time, have you put yourself in a position to say that I am approachable to have the conversations that need to be? So I got a question on the approachable, right? Okay. Do you do you allow so much approachability that everything hits your desk and then you don't have any time for anything? Mm-hmm. Or do you create a certain veil of approachability so that the person knows prior to coming to you that you've they've formulated a very specific and well thought out question? I think that takes time. They may not know. I think you we hear the, the saying open door policy. And that's but I that's why I was kind of going approachable. That doesn't mean come dump all your stuff on my desk and I'm gonna give you the answer. It means that you have an ear for me to be a sounding board to, and at the same time I'm probably gonna reposition the questions back to like, well, tell me what you're thinking about and how you're gonna approach it. What does that look like? Just having a collaborative conversation for somebody can some people just need that affirmation. 
And at the same time, you're allowing that to happen and it probably changes the conversations going on about how they come to you, how much approachability they are with you and what they need out of you going forward. It's just my fault. Just an interesting conversation because I think that how you set the stage for access provides a higher level of conversation and that's what gets the person to think. Yeah. Right? Consistently shares information openly and willingly. What's that mean to you? Well, I think there, there's a need to know, and then there's a need to know, right? And I think for most things, you don't want to come across as, I'm hiding things from you, right? Be open with the good and the bad. But I think that goes back to the expectation conversation from day one about goals, objectives, and then how are things impacting, whether you're hitting them or not. What's the top? Like, as a leader, you have downward pressure on you. You don't. It doesn't roll downhill, yeah. but the information is disseminated, disseminated amongst everybody. Yeah. Right? If you're hiding, then it creates scarcity mindset and creates people to become scared. What is they? What are they holding back from me? What are they hiding from me? What are they not telling me? Well, I think it's also that consistently shares information is that you then recognize that their people need to be Exposed to the hard conversation so they know the reality of the situation. Right. Um, so, this, this, I, I think that like the conversation of information, especially like on key methods, because it goes in the next one, there's like setting standards and key areas of value and quality. Mm-hmm. This is the part that like I think great leadership provides clarity, right? And when we get into gray and it's not black and white around the outcomes of like goals. This is where people then think about, well, where do I put my time and how do I do that? Like, if you set standards on key areas of value and quality, like, it's abundantly clear when you hit it or you didn't hit it. And I think about this one in leadership is, is it as clear as, like, a scoreboard? They talk about scoreboards and scoreboards and scoreboards. A scoreboard doesn't have interpretation. It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have any of those things. It is very clear when you do or don't get to something. And I think the part that leaders have to provide is the context of what activities actually matter to drive that standards. Can all standards be measured? Is there a scoreboard for everything? I think you have to put a scoreboard out for what matters. Okay. I don't think everything matters. And certain the thing, here's the thing. In my, in my opinion, the people that don't want standards that are a scoreboard-driven person, they don't want accountability, they don't want to be pushed, and they want to be mediocre. I have not come across one person that is just amazing at life that actually says, you know what, I don't want to be measured, I want I want to hide in the vague. That's, that's what's happening, right? Because if you hide in the vague, you never know, you're actually, there's a fear of success or a fear of failure, which one of them doesn't matter. But when people make things complicated, it's because they're fear of one of the two things. And when you set clear standards and say, this is what we're measuring, this is what matters in the business, I don't want to hear about X, Y, now, this I'm being very direct on Of it, course. Like, when, when you get complication, it takes you away from the inevitable goal because like someone makes a very valid point that could be valid, and it drives you down this rabbit hole. But it does, it's, it's secondary to the primary goal. And I think that's what kills me when someone doesn't want clarity. I want clarity just so I know I'm doing the right thing. It has nothing to do with, 
hey, I told you so. Let me pour some salt in the wound. It's that like, hey, that's the goal. This is the plan I have. That's what I believe is going to drive the best value to my customers, clients, and the people I work with. That's how I know I'm doing an amazing job at the role I'm at, and I'm delivering tons of value. But if I can't measure it, I can't go back and figure out, am I doing the right things? I can't make myself better because I've got nothing to anchor it against. So it's not about looking good or being right or anything like that. It's about if you don't have a metric on the standard, you can't measure it. If you can't measure it, you can't get feedback to cause something to be better. Yeah, and, and as, as we move on, you look at saying, on top of that is what's my mission and what's my vision, right? Again, I think we look at those those clients, and then if I have those and they're well defined and we're achieving them, then I can attract talent to it. Yeah, I mean, so if you think about set standards and key values of quality, and then you talk about mission, vision, and attract people to it because we're mm-hmm. getting ready to recruit, right? Is you saw what I did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, here's the thing: you have to have profit is the best indicator of a thriving business. Here's why, right? If you have profit increasing year over year, it means your expenses are being managed, which means you're getting efficiencies out of your operations, right? Okay. So check off operations. If you have a certain client base and you've retained that client base, you're going to have you know, re- renewal payments or whatever, right? But in order for you to go up year over year, you have to grow revenue, which means you're attracting more business or more clients. So you're hitting growth, you're hitting retention and you're hitting operations inside of a business. If you want to retain your current clients, if you're retaining your current clients, you're probably retaining your staff because the staff is actually causing the engagement with the current client. It means you're also driving other sales, which means you're getting market share, which means you're attracting people to your company that weren't there last year. And you're also maintaining your operational margin because that's actually shows that you're being efficient. So when you think about profit, that tells me that the business is thriving and because we're thriving, it means we're hitting our mission vision, right? That if our mission is to be, um, I don't know, the the mission is to transform lives, careers, and communities through real estate. Like that's capital properties. Um, if that's the mission, what's the vision? The vision in 2025 is to have, you know, 1,000 people that have generated over 100,000 in GCI. So the mission is to transform lives, careers, and communities into real estate. We believe that if we had $100,000 in GCI going to somebody, that could be life-changing, especially if they never broke fifty or you know, forty to 50000 a year because that dollars can actually buy a house. It can actually pay off debt. It can facilitate education, whatever it may be. So my point is, is that mission and vision attract people to it because it's a feeling. Emotions make people act. It's a connection. Right? And until you deal with the emotional side of what makes you different, why do you do what you do? Simon Singh, right? People don't buy what you do, they, they buy why you do it. And that's the whole point behind your mission and vision, is you have to have a compelling mission and vision that has a differentiating factor for your clients, and the leader has to compel that, right? You have to do that. And then you have to run a successful business, which is, which is going to be managed off what's your growth year over year on your profitability, because it indicates growth, retention, and operations. And when- when you're living your life and running your organization that way, when you're winning over people's hearts, respect, and loyalty, right? Because then you're, it becomes a concentric circle of love. Just compounding, yes. You just you're adding on top of all of those things. So you, if you look through the first seven things we've kind of said here, but when we get to this one, it sounds commonplace that hey, but well, we want to win these people over. We aren't winning them over. You're, it's just happens by doing the right thing, right? You're not forcing the issue. Like, hey, I'm going to win their hearts. It, it sounds 
great, but that also sounds very like a politician. I'm like going out and shaking everybody's hands. But your action sets the stage for that. And your actions become, because I know what my mission is, right? I know what my vision is. And it's to grow my organizations, to grow my team, and to grow my business. And because you're constantly having the conversations warmly with them and understanding who they are and where they want to go and how they're going to get you and providing opportunity for them, they trust you, they respect you, and you create loyalty. Now, loyalty doesn't always mean they stick with the organization forever. Sometimes loyalty means growth up and out and beyond. But if you're having, yeah, I know, I get that, but that's, that's kind of taboo. But, but isn't that truly what it is? Sometimes that is what's best for them, to push the bird out of the nest. But you only, it's, it's self-serving if I, if I yeah. prevent them from doing so. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, right? I think, I think that the thing is, is that, once again, leadership teaches people how to think and empowers the think. Yeah. Here's the thing about education. When you educate somebody, they get a certain level of confidence because they know that they're self-sufficient. If they know they're self-sufficient, they care more about their activities, they care more about their life, they care more about impact because they actually know that they can take care of themselves, right? So when, you, when leadership is teaching people how to think and then empowers them to think, it's saying, hey, look, I want you, I don't want you to be a drone. I want you bring something unique to the table inside your organization, that's why you're here. And I believe that you can think. I believe you're capable. And sometimes the person doesn't have the confidence in, in themselves, so they need to pull it from somebody else. And if I can say, hey, the reason I'm challenging you, the way reason I'm not giving you the answer is I know that you can do it, right? And that's the part around teaching people how to think is once they know how to think, now you can empower them to think because you trust what their judgment is. And now they fully know that the repercussions of their, their actions are on them, not on somebody else. All right. Now you're, you're getting a different level out of them because now they're not just achieving the organizational goals, they're achieving personal goals. They're achieving their goals. They're setting their own sets of dreams. Presumably, you've kind of helped mm-hmm. instill upon them the vision through leadership and communication. And say, okay, now that you're helping us get where we need to go, how do we help you get where you need to go? Mm-hmm. Right? What are your goals? What are your dreams? And what does those look like? And those questions don't happen enough. But I think you earn the right to get to those questions. I agree. I think you can't. You're not going to jump on a day one that gets a little weird. I mean, I always heard said, hey, let's get weird. No, it scares people away to a degree. I get the mindset around that, but that goes back to the leader saying, you got to lead yourself first, and mm-hmm. they'll get there. But if they see that's how you live your life, that these are your outwardly focusing on the things we talked about, about the goals and your dreams, right? That it allows them to have goals and dream too. I don't think, depending on what their background is, they don't necessarily know how to dream big yeah. or set goals. Which goes into action focus, teaches others to achieve their goals and dreams. Right. So I think a lot of it is like, think about this. Action focus, we inherit people out of college, mm-hmm. right? Here's what my fascinating aha was about this around action training, is that you can teach somebody by showing them. Then you can do it, and they watch you. Eventually, they have to do it. And then they have to teach you. Like, if you want to know what action-focused training is, it's really, I'm going to show you, you're going to watch me, then you're going to do it, then you're going to teach me. And I think what's interesting about this is that far too often we don't get people to do the task. And it shows up in this. Uh, You go, okay, so plan your day. And they're going to be like, what do you mean? Just came out of school, plan your day. There's no plan your day education in high school, (laughs) right? 
it's like, hey, pay your taxes. Oh, yeah, there was definitely a tax class, right? Oh, by the way, um, you know, uh, help review this budget for the business. Was there a budget class in high school? Because I missed it. Like, my, my, my challenge with action, or not challenge, but my the opportunity on action-focused training for people is that most of the things you're most challenged with, what are your goals? What are the metrics? What's the operational plan? What's the execution? The reason people don't hit a goal is a lot of times because they don't have a plan, right? And my point is all the pain points that we have in business around people thinking or planning or execution or whatever is because they were never taught any of this. There was no class that teaches any of this, right? No. So, and unless they unless they have a predisposition to wanting a plan and doing that type of execution, then you're, most people have to be taught that. And that's where it comes into leadership is action-focused. I don't care about the perfect plan. I want to know, did you go try it out? What worked? What didn't work? What are you innovating on? And get people into action. And if you have an action-based environment, right? then the productivity becomes a productivity specific environment because now people start to fire on multiple cylinders right Mm -hmm. then you've got multiple goals and multiple objectives being met across a myriad of platforms right obtaining that one goal now everybody's got their own goals yep and their goals support the goal of the organization right and that competition is friendly competition yeah and the leadership comes from other channels because you've got people that are strength and weaknesses in different areas to prompt each other up. So the production levels are increased and they're measurable because I know that's a big thing for you. Oh, it's huge for me. And and by you, I ingest, but for everybody, they should be. Correct. In in this part about productivity specific environment, I'm going to tell this story about Michael Jordan, right? Is that comes out, UNC, goes to Chicago. I think he won like one championship while he was there, but there was like a multiple of years of like UNC. No, 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 at, at Chicago. I think it was, it was one. And then for all the basketball fans, I apologize for what <laughs> this. If you saw my height, you know I don't play basketball. Um, nor my weight. But um what, what was interesting about it was he only won, I think, one with the Bulls prior to to Phil Jackson coming. So he won one, Phil Jackson comes in and he all of a sudden Jordan Jordan wins another five. Right, so now Jordan's got six, five of them with, with Phil Jackson. Um, then Phil leaves Chicago and goes to L.A. Kobe hadn't won anything, right? Phil comes out, I think they won two or three. And once again, pardon my NBA knowledge. What I'm sharing is that Phil Jackson, as the coach, now he played basketball. He was never at the same level of Kobe or Shaq or Jordan. But he played basketball in college and in, in the league. Yep. And what Phil brought to the table was the environment. And Phil wasn't out there shooting or dunking or doing anything like that. That was Jordan. But Phil was able to create an environment that attracted other players that complimented Jordan, got them to play like a team, and then also understood what each person's role was and then produced that environment. Without that environment, you saw what the environment was prior to Phil with Jordan only winning one. Yeah, that's kind of, really important. Yeah, kind of that same type of environment. Like the, Get away with was to Jordan rules, right? It was the team rules, and so it was systems and models, and mm-hmm. everybody has a role to play, but nobody's special. Yep. Which goes into I think you're seeing a lot of accountability. I mean, it leads to taking action, holds actions accountable for results. So that's the whole point of having metrics: is that you don't have metrics, you live in a perpetual gray area of did I win, did I lose? Yeah. And most people want to know that they're winning. 
where most people want to know that they're failing, right? Because uh, how many times have you had a review with your boss where there was no feedback for an entire year? And you're like, wow, I got no feedback. I feel pretty good about my work. And then all of a sudden, here's a review, and you're like, whoa, two out of five stars. Where'd that come from? No one wants to hit, get sideways yeah. by that. And that's what I think leads to action and holds actions accountable for results is that people want advice. They want feedback. They want to be better. And quite frankly, if they don't want that, they're probably, let's go back to number one, selects the right people. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live yeah. in drama. I don't want to live in someone that's always somebody else's fault. And quite frankly, it's not an organization that's going to exude an amazing environment or attract amazing people or provide an amazing product because that's what's necessary. Well, and I think it's a, it's okay when, when you hear that and you say, hey, action holds accountable actions or accountable for results. Not all results are going to be what was expected for the action. Yeah. But at the same time, did you learn from that? Things changed. We didn't have all the information. And then when did we make a pivot? Where did we change? Or ultimately, did we go down the right path? Yeah, that's okay. But the feedback and how we got there and what we did does matter. Which is which is what it's actually I jumped ahead of this, but it was like, but but that feedback, that tracking, the metric allows you to consult to improve somebody's performance. Yeah, right. That the whole goal is not here for metrics, accountability, and being punitive. Like I think that's total garbage. Right. Yeah. It's actually to say if I know that you're these are running things, I don't run. Um, Totally an expert. Here we are We're, we're, we're going to give examples of everything that I don't do. What Joe doesn't do. I don't do. That's right. So I don't play basketball <laughs> and I don't run. Um, but my, my point is, is that if you're trying to run a six-minute mile, right, and you don't track what your current is, and you don't track your steps, and you don't track your breathing, you don't do all those little things, you can never get down to the six-minute mile. You're basically just saying, eh, we'll try it and see what happens. So you don't get real feedback, yeah. right? And if you don't have real feedback... You don't know what your potential is. And I think most people don't want accountability, mainly because they're actually scared that one, they don't know what they would do if they actually won, right? Or they don't want to know what they're actually, like what, what would happen if they lost. I, I think you bring the good point there. You got to know your numbers to how you're going to improve, but how you present the information about your numbers yeah. is what's going to move the needle, mm-hmm. right? If they're scared of the numbers because of how you're coaching to them or not, right? then you're not going to get there. But if they understand that, hey, I'm not getting there, but I've got to move them forward, and Joe's there to help me get there because he cares, yep. and he's helping lead me get there, I'm excited to have that conversation and understand, okay, this worked, this didn't work, how do we keep going? Mm-hmm. Which I th- which goes into team builds for synergy. Well, I think there's an organizational yeah. hierarchy here is why we're going down this order. We're yeah. seeing how they all tie together, but it's not from day one – that we're going to be all 16 things. It's from day one, we're setting the expectations of how we're going to be there at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like sometimes you go from 11 back to two or two jumps to four quickly or slower or mover, but we're, it's a fluid thing. Which goes into the culture. So when I see team builds for synergy after that, yeah. after anything we covered, it's like if you, you will quickly see if you hire the wrong person, if you've got truly like, all this type of environment with accountability, with numbers, with metrics, with training, with one-on-ones, all the type of things we're talking about and improving people, you will put somebody new in your organization. I, I guarantee within 30 days, you're going to find out real quick whether or not they fit into it. And it, you've got to protect that environment like nobody's business. Because if you got a, if you have a business that's humming with high performers, with competitiveness, and with accountability, and with like humbleness, anybody that comes in needs to be like vetted and making sure it gets that synergy, right? 
100 percent and i the sex one is just it, and this is something that you know i had to work with you for a couple of years you do incredibly well and it moves mountains with me and personally is saying thank you right and you don't just say thank you you send cards like it is amazing what that can do to an individual. And then I and I say, we say this, I think, a lot of times, especially real estate, we say, hey, do you pick up the phone? Do you put something in the car? But this is really what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's going the extra level of not just doing it, but doing it because you actually care. My insights on number f- on this 14 is like recognizes efforts, results, and says thank you. What most people don't get, um, or not get, but what I found it works better is that when you just have a blanket thank you, mm-hmm. people appreciate it. But what's really appreciated is when someone says like, hey, thank you for getting in the office at 6 a.m. to get the water set up and the coffee and the donuts and blah, blah, blah. And thank you for getting the screen taken care of because you didn't have to do that. How do you spell blah? Yeah, B-L-A. <laughs> but like what's, what's fascinating is that if you're going to give credit and kudos to your people as a true thank you, it needs to be specific and it needs to be uh, time stamped, meaning don't send a thank you for something they did five months ago, right? And don't be bland with the specific kudos that you're giving them. Be timely in the thank you, be specific around it, because that's actually now people know that what they're doing matters and you're actually paying attention because that's actually what they care about. That timely part is massive. And I think a lot of times, the intentions all may might be there a lot of times. It's the execution. Yeah. So go back to like if you recognize hey, I've got a series of important meetings this week, right? Or right, that or coaching appointments. Schedule time to write the cards. Schedule yeah. times to have the follow up. Schedule the time to say thank you if your life is that busy and you're and it's going to get away from you. Yeah. And and I, which goes into developing leaders. So think about it. if you covered all these fourteen points from. 15 here. But well, you're organically going to get there. Yeah, that's exactly. Like this roadmap, if you do all these 14 things, you're going to have developed leaders. And I think the question is, who do you need to become? And, and honestly, think about scoreboards. Like we were talking about accountability and scoreboards. Right. Developed leaders, it's really clear whether or not someone's become a leader under your tutelage. Like you could literally be like, hey, who are all the people? You could, you could sit down right now and be like, all right, Joe, you started 11 years ago. Write down everybody you've hired, right? Write down where they're gone today. Like you, there is no, that is a very clear scoreboard that's going to say they're either a leader or they're not based on where they're at today, what their performance is, what their scope is, what their, their responsibilities are. And if you want to see a clear thing about your leadership skills, especially if you've been doing over 10 years, you should have some people that have like been promoted and had to take on leadership stuff and they should be able to say like, damn, I really love working for Dave or or uh, whoever, to say, like, they had an impact. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and we touched on this a little bit, but if you've done all these things, then you've helped them discover their own set of missions, vision, values, beliefs, and perspectives that they're running in their lives, their profession, and their personal lives, and overall become an incredible individual. Mm-hmm. And they can even say, you know, that's your legacy, right? Your legacy through leadership is how you've impacted other people's and what they've been able to do. And if, if it's a matter of being able to put a list together saying, hey, these are the people that I've, I've attracted mm-hmm. and helped grow, and here's where they are now. Yeah. That's the lasting legacy. 
that having come up through the channels of an organization and becoming a leader and the lives that you've ultimately impacted at its highest level. And I think that's the, to like wrap up this episode is number 16 says helps individuals discover their mission, vision, values, beliefs, and perspectives. I sum that up as your big why, your passion, your purpose in life. And more often than not, if you want to see something that's really shocking, go ask people what their purpose in life is, and you're going to get blank stares. Because it's a tough thing to answer. So most people say, I'm going to put my head down, I'm going to make enough money to pay for my family, and blah, blah, blah. And like, there's no harm in that. Like, you got to take care of your kids, you got responsibilities or your spouse, whatever the thing may be in your family. Right. But when you think about how do you, all of these topics have been getting people to survive, then thrive in their roles. And when someone becomes purpose driven, it doesn't matter how much money they make. It doesn't matter how many hours they put in. They know their true North star. They will do everything and anything to fulfill that purpose. Cause now they're living in their power zone. They're living something that like they know is true and intrinsic to them. And in leadership, teaching people how to think, giving them all these skill sets, eventually says, who are you as an individual? What is your unique purpose in life? So that you can leave a legacy, which actually matters. Like I'm, I'm thinking I got three kids, I'm 34. I'm like, okay, I got probably another 50 years on this earth. Like, are they really going to care about whatever thing I did, like that I mowed the grass and I got, I used yeah. this crazy fertilizer or that like, I always have my consistent meetings or whatever the thing that be. No, like it, it's literally saying like, who have I led? Who have I developed? Who have I given opportunities to? How have I taught people? And then how do I make sure that my kids are the best versions of themselves? Because I don't, I mean, I love my kids, but you want to make sure that they're, they leave, they've got skill sets and understanding of how to be the best version of themselves because it came from your household, right? 100%. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's a great list. And we ran a little long today, but this, this was a great list. Yeah, it was. Right? It was. So digest this, listen, and, and be self-aware. And dive into this for yourselves and say, hey, how do I rank? How do I perform? And where do I need to spend my time? Well, I think the one call to action I give everybody on this one is this one really deep and means a lot to me is that we went through 16 points of leadership. If you have questions, you want the list, please reach out to Dave or myself yeah. uh, through the pod, like, podcast uh, link tree. But I would just challenge anybody as you went through the things that we talked about, what's one thing you'd be better at? If you would work on one thing uh, for the quarter or for the month, to really make yourself a better leader, I think you're just going to show up not only on the personal side, but the professional side, and you're just going to be a better version of yourself, and you're going to see huge, dramatic impact in the overall world. Fantastic. Well, without further ado, thanks for tuning in. Tune in next time. Thanks for tuning in to Entrepreneurial Impact. Bye, everybody.